Before you turn with me to Judges chapter 5 tonight, if you would turn with me to Psalm 100, a very familiar psalm. Psalm 100. Here in Psalm 100, the psalmist sings, Make a joyful, a cheerful noise, sound unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness, with pleasure, with delight, with thankfulness. Come before His presence with singing a Joyful, triumphant boys. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. Jesus Christ is God. It is He that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And be thankful unto him, and bless, worship his name. Why? Because the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. The writer of Hebrews wrote by him, speaking of Christ, Therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise, gratitude to God continually. We should be thankful all the time. And he said, be thankful, offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, That's what the entire chapter of Judges chapter 5 is all about. It's a song of praise and thanksgiving of the victory that God gave Israel over Sisera and the cruel king Jabin that we looked at last time. And as we saw in our last study, that victory is a picture of our victory over sin. And friends... That's something to thank and to praise God for. It was accomplished by the substitution of Christ. It couldn't be accomplished any other way. And it took His keeping of the holy law. You know, we often say that and without really giving it a lot of thought. The law of God has to be kept perfectly in all points. If we are guilty in one point, then we're guilty of the whole law. So we've got to keep the whole law. And I have difficulty keeping any of the law, much less all of it and keeping it perfectly. But Christ did. And for that, we should be thankful. And it took Christ satisfying God's holy justice. God wouldn't be satisfied with anything less than perfection. It has to be perfect to be accepted. That's something that we can't accomplish in and of ourselves. Christ did it for us. And that's something to be thankful for. 
When God reveals to you that only Christ could do that for you, you'll be thankful and full of praise. I can assure you of that. It took the death of our Lord Jesus in the chosen sinner's place to put away their sin. And that's something to be thankful for. That's something to praise His name for. That's something to worship Christ over. And the victory, as we just sung, belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone deserves the honor, the glory, the praise, and the thanksgiving. And this victory came, and this is the amazing thing, this victory came by the sacrifice of Himself. He who knew no sin was made sin. Now what does that mean, Brother David? Just what it says. He was made sin. Our sin was imputed and charged to Him, and His perfect righteousness was charged to our account. And what an amazing transaction that was. We who are nothing but sin are made the righteousness of God in Him. And I never, I never grow tired of hearing that. Um, this is a song of Deborah, Israel's judge. And by the way, if you would go ahead and turn to Judges 5 with me if you haven't. And it's a song that she wrote and a song she sung. Verse 1 tells us, Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam. And um, I, did, I, boy, I, I, I forgot to tell you this last week, but Deborah, her name means a bee. Uh, we've all heard that saying, busy as a bee. Well, her name has more to do with that term busy, and it suggests being busy to do things in an orderly manner. Uh, our God is a God of order. Yes, sir. And God raised up Deborah to restore order to Israel. And Deborah, no doubt, sets things in order concerning the matter of who should be thanked and praised for the believer's victory over sin. Have you ever given much thought to God's order of things? For example, <clears throat> the election of God. God choosing sinners according to His own will and His own purpose is the first thing in God's order of salvation. If salvation is of the Lord, and it is, then it had to originate with God and finish with God, and everything in between had to be God's doing. Salvation is of the Lord from beginning to end. Uh, it's With all things, God is the first cause. If God is to receive all the glory, honor, and thanksgiving for our salvation and redemption, this has to be the order of things. If salvation originates with God before man was ever created before man ever did anything good or evil. You know, we're taught all our lives, grow up and be good little boys and girls and, and everything's going to be all right. Well, that's not so. <laughs> that's not so. We've got to be perfect, as I said, to be accepted. Only one way to be perfect in Christ. And so the divine order of things is that the purpose of God according to election, according to God's choosing, 
uh, is it's not of works, but it's of him that calleth. Salvations of the Lord. And since God foreknew, chose and elected, he called his elect by the glorious gospel. That's God's means of saving sinners. He uses the what the world calls foolishness, that being the preaching, being preaching of the gospel. And that's the means God uses to save sinners. And those whom he calls by his gospel, he justifies by this gospel. And those whom he justified, he will one day glorify. Do you know what glorify means? It means to be without sin. When we receive a glorified body, that means we receive that new body without sin. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. And that's something to be thankful for. We can never thank God enough for sending Christ to save us. We could never thank Christ enough for dying in our room instead and shedding His precious blood to wash and put our sin away. But we sure ought to try. We sure ought to try. And when you see that your sin is your greatest enemy, and it is, when you see deliverance from sin is your greatest victory, and when you see who it is that delivered you from your sin, you'll be thankful and you'll praise Him. And that's what Deborah's singing about throughout this whole chapter. Okay, Judges 5, verse 1, Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, and on, on that day saying, Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel when the people willingly offered themselves. Now, any time that I read in the Scriptures about God's people being willing to do anything, my mind immediately runs to Psalm 110, verse 3, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Now, we have no will to do anything apart from God's initiating power. If God doesn't empower, bestow His grace and mercy upon us and give us life, we will never be willing to do anything uh, that would, uh, as far as bowing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And only God has the power to make us willing and to accomplish that. So first and foremost, we praise and thank God for His greatness. Only a great God could do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And every king and every monarch and every president and every ruler has only the power that God gives them. You know, that's what the Lord told Pilate. Pilate asked, are you a king? And the Lord didn't give him an answer. And Pilate said, speakest thou not unto me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know I have the power to crucify you? And don't you know that I have the power to release you? You know, you need to show me a little respect. You need to show me a little bit of honor because of who I am. And we see something there of man's arrogance and abuse of power. Man has no power but that power which God gives him. And that's how the Lord answered him. He said, Thou couldst have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. Yes. Except God Almighty give it to you. 
And that's the case with all who are in power. Any power a man has is given him from God. Now, I want us to look at Psalm 110. Hold your place here in Judges 5 and turn with me to Psalm 110 and uh, beginning in verse 1. It's the powerful one, the almighty, the sovereign, omnipotent God that gives power to men. And notice in verse 1 of Psalm 110, it says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou in my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. See, friends, it's God who makes Christ's enemies his footstool. What's a footstool? Well, it's something put under your feet. <laughs> and verse 2, The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. And he does. And he always has. And he still does today. It's the Lord that sends his royal and powerful scepter of the gospel. The power of God unto salvation is what it's called. To bring sinners into the obedience of Christ. None of us could ever be obedient apart from being made willing to bow in the day of God's power. In verse 3, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power and the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast to do thy youth. When will God's elect be willing? In the day of His power. And there's no willingness within a sinner to bow to Christ apart from God executing His power to make them willing to do so. Are you willing? He made me willing. He made me willing. It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. I'm willing because God made me willing. But as many as received Him, speaking of Christ, those who bowed and seized and grabbed hold of the Lord Jesus, not by their power, but God, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. We didn't give ourselves any power. We didn't pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. God gave us the power to become sons of God. To them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It sounds to me like our will is nothing to brag about. <laughs> and it's not. And in verse 4, the Lord hath sworn and will not repent. The Lord, He decrees, He purposes, He wills, and He does not change. That's what the word repent means. And thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Christ is our great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Christ is our great high priest who was touched with the feelings of our infirmities and was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Christ, our great high priest, became us. What a condescension for one who is holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. Hebrews 7, 26. And here in verse 5, the psalmist says, The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of His wrath. 
Kings are no match for God. He's the one that made them king. <laughs> he's the one that gives them the power to rule, and he's the one that can take it away. They're no match for him. He shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. And that's what we see in Judges chapter 4. That's what we saw, and that's what Deborah is thankful for in Judges chapter 5. And so Deborah sings, and she thanks, and she praises God for Israel's God-given victory over Sisera and King Jabin. And look at verse 6. He, the Lord, shall judge among the heathen, and he shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. It's the Lord who kills. It's the Lord that makes alive. It's the Lord that brings down. And it's the Lord that brings up. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. It's the Lord whose sufferings like the abundant waters of the brooks partook expressed by drinking here and worked out the salvation of his people for his own glory, honor, praise, and thanksgiving. Friends, we ought to be thankful. God help me to be thankful. Now back to Judges chapter 5 and look at verse 4. Deborah sings in Barak, Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir, when thou marchest out of the field, out of, the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped and the clouds also dropped water. The mountains melted from before the Lord, even that Sinai from before the Lord God of Israel. This speaks of the Lord's great works and the battles for his people. All the victories, all the battles won by the Lord for his people are but a picture of the Lord by himself putting away sin by the sacrifice of himself. It's God who marches into battle for us. What is there for us to fear? Nothing. No wonder the earth trembles. The heavens drop. The clouds drop water. When Christ cried from the cross, it is finished. The veil was rent in two. The earth quaked. Rocks split in two. The dead were raised to walk among men. Friends, when we endeavor through the Scriptures to set things in order about who did the sinning and who did the saving, it's necessary to expound who God is. But it's also necessary to expound and describe the condition of the people who the Lord came to deliver. Verse 6, in the days of Shamgar. You remember him? He was just mentioned there in the last part of chapter 3. He was the son of Anath. In the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied and the travelers walked through byways. The inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a mother in Israel. Now, if you remember, Shamgar was the one who slew 600 Philistines with an ox goat. Um, the Philistines were known as highwaymen or highway robbers. They were thieves and they robbed travelers and citizens. And because of this, the people of Israel just stayed home. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> They're going to knock me in the head and take everything I got. 
And this was a, a great deterrent that kept uh, Israel from uh, traveling and buying food or, or working to provide a living. It was a, it was a real issue. And Shamgar killed 600 of these Philistine criminals, but he only put a dent in the problem. And the people were afraid to travel and they became destitute. And what a description this is of the elect of God's spiritual condition. By nature, we're, we're spiritually grounded, <laughs> destitute, fearful, and without bread. And we, like Israel of old, are, are idolaters by nature, worshiping anything and everything but the God, the true God. And the kings of sin, Satan and self, did nothing but oppress us and nothing changed until God raised up a deliverer. And a deliverer He raised up. Now in this particular time in the Lord's history, Deborah, the the poet, the prophetess, was made a mother to Israel. That's what she was singing here. And she became their caretaker and their counselor. She had a heart for the people of God. She had an interest in their welfare. And as a judge, she's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in verse 9, we see that she loved her people and thanked the Lord for them. And in verse 9, she sang... My heart is toward the governors, the appointed lawgivers of Israel, that offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless ye the Lord. Verse 10, Speak ye that ride on white asses, ye that sit in judgment and walk by the way. They that are delivered from the noise of archers in the places of drawing water, there shall they rehearse the righteous acts of the Lord even the righteous acts towards the inhabitants of his villages in Israel, then shall the people of the Lord go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake. Utter a song, arise, Barak, and lead thy captivity captive, thy son of Abinoam. Verse 13, Then he made him that remaineth have dominion over the nobles, among the people, the Lord made me have dominion over the mighty. Now, Deborah here encourages those in authority, the governors and the princes of the people, to declare the righteous acts of the Lord. What are the righteous acts of the Lord? The gospel. Just what we've been talking about. The Lord being made sin for us and giving us His perfect righteousness. All the works of Christ are righteous, but none more so than the just deliverance of His people. There's nothing more righteous than the Lord providing a just way to put away the sin of His people. How did He do it? By being made sin. By taking our sin upon Himself. By giving us His perfect righteousness. righteousness. And in this, the wages of sin were fully paid. Amen. Not simply excused. Christ kept the holy law of God for His people. Christ satisfied God's holy justice by the sacrifice of Himself. How? By the shedding of His blood. God's blood was shed. This is God's blood. 
Being redeemed by the blood of Christ, God's people have been made kings and priests unto God and are governors and nobles in the kingdom of God. And it was Deborah's direction, advice, command, and presence from the Lord that delivered Israel God's people, if you remember the study last week. Now the Lord Jesus Christ, our righteous judge, our one mediator, has dominion over all. And our sin can only be put away by Him divinely intervening and causing us to be thankful and enabling us to like to do His will. And we preach Christ's righteousness. There's no other righteousness for us to preach. We declare His faithfulness. We declare His salvation. We conceal not His tender mercies and His loving kindness to sinners. These are the things that the psalmist said continually preserve us in Psalm 40. And for that, we're thankful. Now, in verses 14 through 23, Deborah sings the praises of those who were with her in battle. And she also reproves the ones that did not go. And she even curses those who ignored the deliverance of God's people altogether. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read each of these verses and comment on each verse, but simply make a general survey, so to speak, a synopsis. In this song, Deborah and Barak sung the praises of Ephraim, Benjamin, Zebulun, and Naphtali. Issachar joined with Barak to fight Sisera. You can read these verses in your leisure. And every one of those men jeopardized their lives for the cause of deliverance. What a blessing and how thankful the child of God should be to have others of the household of faith to fight side by side with them. You know, I look out tonight, I'm so thankful for you. I am. We're in this thing together. Every believer is. We're in this fight together. And I'm thankful for the men, the pastors, the preachers that I know who fight the good fight of faith for the cause of Christ and the salvation of God's people. I thank you for the support of the gospel financially and your attendance and, and the fact that, that you look for opportunities to tell others about the Lord Jesus and invite them to come and hear the gospel. We thank our Lord and lift up one another's hands to encourage each other in this battle with sin, Satan, and self. And I just today received a call from a pastor who's a dear friend, and he just called me to tell me that he loved me. And he appreciated my labor of love for Christ's sake. And that same man has blessed me time and time again the same way. You see, we're ministers of the same gospel and we're servants of the same God. Now, in verses 24 through 27, Deborah sings the high praises of Jael. You remember her? She was the woman who nailed uh, Sisera's head to the floor. He came into her city. She went out to meet him. She said, come rest in my tent. You'll be safe there. And he came into her tent and he asked for water. She gave him some warm milk and I can just see him nodding off. <laughs> she covered him up and he lay down and laid his head down. And man, she took a hammer and, and a big spike and, and right through the head, nailed his head to the ground. 
You know, the unbelieving infidels always bow down by the hand of the instrument of God's choosing. And God uses the most unlikely to bring down and defeat those who oppose His gospel and His people. And this is the case that was the case with the courageous efforts of a woman named Jael. The Lord always honor those who seek to honor Him. I can assure you of that. And then this song also rebukes and curses those who lead these battles to the tending of others. Now the believer is always encouraged to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of eternal life whereunto we're called. And those who fought made a good profession before many witnesses, but those who didn't hear are rebuked. And there are many who are content to just sit back and to leave the fighting to others. In verse 15, Reuben is mentioned, and he represents those who love the possessions, their possessions more than the gospel. Reuben, the tribe of Reuben had a great number of sheep, and they stayed on the other side of Jordan, if you remember our studies in Joshua. And uh, they had, Reuben had a great number of sheep, and he could not go to battle leaving his sheep. That was his excuse. Well, I can't leave my sheep without a shepherd. He reminds us of those bidden to come to the wedding feast. You remember that parable the Lord told? And they all begin to make just ridiculous excuses. Mm-hmm. Boy, we're good at, at excuses, aren't we? They're not very good most of the time. And one said, I bought a piece of ground. I need to go see it. Well, who buys a piece of ground without seeing it first? And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I got to go prove them. Listen, I have never bought a used car that I didn't test drive first. Another said, I've married a wife and therefore I can't come. Lord, the woman thou gavest me. Come on, man. That's a good one for us, isn't it? We, we use that one quite a bit. The bottom line is Reuben loved his sheep more than he loved Israel, the people of Israel. And obviously he chose to hear the bleeding, the crying of the sheep over the cries of the people of Israel. Now in verse 17, we see that Gilead wouldn't cross over the Jordan to fight. We're told that Dan remained in their ships on the Mediterranean Sea, delivering their merchandise and taking care of their personal business. It was business as usual. Asher too did business on the busy seashore, excuse me, ports of the Mediterranean. And here's the bottom line. The bottom line was that they were all too busy with the mammon of this world. Uh, there's um, Miraz is mentioned here and its inhabitants were cursed because they just simply refused to help by without even giving an excuse. We're just not going to help. And friends, it's the same today. People are too busy with their own interest to have any interest in the fight against sin. And the sad thing about it is, is that it's their sin. Professing able-bodied believers neglect the work, the preaching of the gospel, and seen it so many times, some poor, elderly, ill lady somewhere in faith is praying and giving all she can for the deliverance of 
or the preaching of the gospel for the deliverance of sin. And I thought this was very interesting. I, this, you know, a lot, several of the commentators didn't even comment on this chapter. But I thought it was necessary, and, and I, I, I have uh, gleaned a great deal from it. I see how important it is to be thankful to the God who loved us and gave himself for us. So that's, the, that, that's the, the, the purpose behind this study, that we might be thankful. Now look at verse 28. Here we're told, kind of given a, uh, an inside story, the mother of Sisera, the, the man who was, had the nail driven through his head, looked out a window and cried through the lattice, and she said, why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the wheels of his chariots? Why isn't he back by now? And her wise ladies answered her, yeah, she, yay, she returned answer to herself. Have they not sped? Have they not divided the prey to every man a damsel or two to Sisera, a prey of divers colors, a a prey of divers colors of needlework, of divers colors of needlework on both sides, meet for the necks necks of them that take the spoil. Now these these are very interesting verses. Sisera's mother here is lamenting his late return, yet she continues to believe that he's victorious. She and her friends begin to make excuses as to why he is yet to return. In verses 30, their excuses are sad. But they're not any sadder than ours are. And they claim that Sisera is running behind because he had to divide the spoils of the victory. Why their victory was so great and the spoils were so great that that's why he's late. He's dividing the spoils. They reason between themselves that Sisera's army has took so many of the enemies captive that it's taking much longer to deal with the whole ordeal. Sisera's mother claims that her son being the moral man that he is has seen to it that the soldiers are not abusing the damsels that were captured. Well, my son is an exemplary, exemplary fellow. He's making sure that even those women of the captors are not being abused. Or, or maybe, or maybe, ladies, he's just picking out dresses of various colors and beautiful needlework as presents for his mother and for you, my friends. Fit for the great general of the king's army. Yes, that's what it is. That's why he's late. And I was thinking to myself, what a picture of religion this is discounting the Word of God and praising the works of man. Even when the battle is over and their hero is dead, they defend their value of choice, their will, and their works to the end. And that's the, this is the summation of salvation in verse 31. So let all thine enemies perish, O Lord, but let them that love Him that being Christ, be as the Son when He goeth forth in His might. As Sisera and his army perished, 
So shall all the enemies of the Lord's people. You know, our enemies are His enemies. I've seen God's people taken advantage of. And I've seen God deal with it. All that love Christ will be like the sun in the middle of the day when its heat and its light are at its greatest. Because you see, the true friends of God, those who are in Christ, are as bright and as glorious as Christ Himself. How so? By the substitutionary sacrifice that He made for them. And for that, we ought to be thankful. And then we're told the last phrase of the chapter, and the land had rest 40 years. And again, we see that the work is finished. You talk about that a lot, Brother Dave. That's where my comfort's found. That's where your comfort is to be found. The work is finished. There's nothing for us to do but to rest. That's where we can rest. Though, but those who rest in Christ get much more than 40 years. <laughs> they get forever. They get eternity. So, the question is, are you resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Lord, help me to rest. Can you hear the Savior say, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. This is talking about soul rest. The rest of the soul. Being able to give my soul to the Lord and know that it's in good hands and know that, that everything is going to be all right. Rest for the soul is found only when the work of the soul is complete and finished. And my friends, it is finished. Now listen closely to these words in closing. And we know, the child of God knows, that He, Jesus Christ, was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in Him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen Him, neither known Him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. My righteousness is in Christ. We preach His righteousness, not our righteousness. Our righteousness is filthy rags. Not by works of righteousness that we've done, no. Because our righteousness is not righteousness at all. And then John goes on to say, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. And for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. That's talking about me. For his seed, Christ's seed, remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. 
Now that's the gospel. That's good news, isn't it? May God be pleased to make it so for His glory, our good, and for Christ's sake. And I confess to you tonight that I'm thankful. Not as I ought to be. Not as I should be. Not as I hope to be. But I am thankful. Shelley, if you would come, let's, let's sing a closing hymn together.